From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. As the Liberal Party celebrates its 75th anniversary, the Nationals are brawling with each other over the drought. Paul Bongiorno on the party that we were never invited to. Paul, let's talk about this gala that happened this past week. Liberal MPs were kicking up their heels. Yes, they were celebrating the 75th anniversary of the party and uh, 600 or so black-tied and glammed-up diners went to the Great Hall at Parliament House for fun. And when the Prime Minister addressed the crowd, he spelled out just how successful the party's been over that time. Paul Bongiorno is a columnist for the Saturday paper. Since World War II, no party has been better at gaining and exercising power. The Prime Minister credited Sir Robert Menzies, the founder of the party, for leading it to a string of victories. He said in its first 25 years, the Liberals won nine out of 11 elections. And according to one source, there was an appreciative titter throughout the crowd. In the second 25 years, thanks to Gough Whitlam, Bob Hawke and Paul Keating, the Liberals only won three out of 10 polls. But in the last 25 years, he said, the Coalition had won seven out of nine. Morrison said Christopher Pine would call them an election-winning machine. Australia is now freer, more prosperous and more secure because of what our party has brought to the table in our many years in government over many generations now. We know what the Prime Minister told the diners at the gala dinner because his office released a text of his speech and, of course, he um, thought some of them were so good he repeated them later. It was John Howard, as I said last night, who led the renaissance of our party, a renaissance that has left a legacy that we now seek to uphold to this day. And of this latest renaissance, as Morrison called it, he spoke of John Howard saying... And this is a pretty big claim. No leader of our party has done more for our party than John. So more even than Sir Robert Menzies. Sounds like a joyous affair. Well, yes, if you're a a Liberal groupie, a Liberal supporter, it uh, certainly was. Although we don't know exactly how much fun was had. I've been able to speak to a couple of people who were there. The party closed the anniversary dinner to the media. And in the minds of some, it only confirmed the accusations of its critics in the Fourth Estate and elsewhere, mainly in the Labor Party, that it's adverse to scrutiny and addicted to manipulation. But it was a decision that comes with a history of its own. In fact, it's a lesson the Liberals have learned from their Labor opponents back in 1993. And there was Paul Keating, and here he is right now. That year, Labor held their True Believers Dinner at the same venue to celebrate Paul Keating's similar miraculous victory. It was just as miraculous, although Keating never claimed divine intervention. Senior Labor figures let their hair down and partied late into the night in the full glare of the network's TV cameras. We had images of then Foreign Minister Gareth uh, Evans merrily dancing, maybe too merrily dancing, to Yothu Yindi playing their hit song, Treaty. These images later showed up in Liberal Party ads condemning Labor for being self-focused and oblivious to the electorate. 
And as an added precaution for the Liberals, this year there was no band and definitely no dancing. You never know what dancing leads to. Dangerous stuff. Very dangerous stuff. John Howard was a guest of honour at last week's function. Do we know what he was saying? Yeah. Prime Minister, good morning. Uh, Good morning, Alan. Nice to talk to you. We also got an insight into this thinking from a series of radio interviews to mark the occasion in which John Howard sounded more like a prophet of doom. He told 2GB that it's been a very successful political movement, the Liberal Party, but we should always remember that following success in politics is often a bit of doom and disaster around the corner. You've always got to keep that in mind because you can suddenly career off the road and need a big He cautioned, you've always got to keep that in mind because you can suddenly career off the road and hit a big tree. That can can happen to everybody. You are wonderful. Nick Greiner, the federal president of the party at the Federal Council, he warned against hubris and taking their election success for granted. So what are Greiner and Howard saying here? Well, both Greiner and Howard seem to be saying that while there have been recent successes, the party can't afford to forget that it may have been a surprise win, but it was not a convincing one. It was a sentiment that Morrison returned to during Tuesday's party room meeting in Canberra. He told the Liberal and National MPs gathered there that we've done a good job so far, but he also cautioned our opponents have a few problems, but that won't last. The fact that the Prime Minister and other heavyweights in the Liberals are urging discipline like this is a reality check for anyone who thinks the one-seat majority gives them the sort of insurance against setbacks that comes with a more resounding win. Not all of the party members have got their heads around that vulnerability, it's clear, although one veteran Liberal told me some are behaving as if we have a 25-seat majority. Paul, the other big story this week was the Right to Know campaign and the decision of major media outlets to black out their front pages. This obviously relates to recent raids on journalists and the general erosion of press freedoms. Yeah, well, um, they're saying that this government's treating voters with contempt by hiding from plain view what they're really up to most of the time. This goes back, of course, to Howard and his masterful exercise of power. Well, key to the Howard playbook was his wedging labour on national security. Howard introduced a raft of draconian laws that led to the erosion of civil liberties, privacy and accountability, a trend his successors have followed. But look, it has to be said that Labor was so spooked by the success of uh, Howard and his successors' uh, tactics in this area uh, that in the past six years under Bill Shorten particularly, it's attempted to be in lockstep on these issues to neutralise the political potency. We've got the situation we have today where Australia can credibly be called the world's most secretive democracy, where press freedoms are limited and much of the work of government can be done without us knowing what it's really up to, which is the point, of course, of the Right to Know campaign. We'll be right back. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. 
With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Paul, we're talking about the messaging around the Liberal Party's 75th anniversary celebration, which was tinged with a caution against excessive hubris. What are some of the immediate threats that Morrison is responding to there? There's the Nationals, for one thing, the junior coalition partner, and without them there wouldn't be a coalition government. Infighting within the party erupted during Monday's National Party Room meeting. This is, of course, bad news for Morrison and quickly leaked to the ABC, and this is to get the maximum coverage in regional Australia. ...have deflected criticism of Deputy Leader Bridget McKenzie and rumblings of a potential leadership challenge. It comes after a heated party room meeting yesterday which was dominated with criticism of Ms McKenzie's leadership style, which claims she was disorganised and difficult to get in touch with. One interstate national lamented to me that the Queenslanders were revolting. The particular object of their ire was the party's Victorian deputy leader, Senator Bridget McKenzie. Especially vocal on this point was Lou O'Brien from the Queensland seat of Wide Bay. He and others north of the New South Wales border believe McKenzie is doing a dreadful job as Agriculture Minister, a job she took from Queenslander David Littleproud after the election. It was reported that one MP claimed it was a waste of time contacting Senator McKenzie because she never gets back to you. Another told the ABC that she couldn't organise a piss-up in a brewery. (laughs) McKenzie herself was busy with Senate estimates and, in fact, didn't attend the meeting. Well, I'm Deputy Leader of the party. For now. Uh, Senator White, at, can you go back to the pleasure of the party? Please? Have you seen what Mr. O'Brien, Lou O'Brien's said about you in the Courier Mail in the last half hour? Senator White. No, I haven't. Please, okay, you might want to have a read of that. Mackenzie's blamed for allowing Pauline Hanson to upstage the party by owning the Senate inquiry into milk pricing. They'd all been demanding that, but Mackenzie had been stalling them. Hanson won the support of Labor and the crossbench to sideline the government. O'Brien talked of moving a leadership spill motion, but he didn't get around to it. Paul, is Mackenzie the only reason for unrest among the nationals at the moment? No, no. uh, Feeding into their unrest is the fact that uh, they believe that Scott Morrison is elbowing them out of being seen to be doing things for drought-stricken farmers. For example, Morrison preempted an announcement to extend relief for hard-hit farmers. They thought they were the ones to make that announcement, uh, but Morrison uh, did. And one of their other problems, you know, is that the Deputy Prime Minister, Michael McCormick, they're blaming him too for the fact that he's being elbowed out by Morrison. The view is that the lacklustre McCormick isn't assertive enough when it comes to dealing with the Prime Minister. And Paul, where were Labor this week? What was going on with the opposition? Well, this week proved that Labor is yet to get back on an even keel with its new leader at the helm. The Prime Minister, who believes he has Anthony Albanese's measure, seized on a column in The Australian by Labor historian and former party staffer Troy Bramston. The Prime Minister mocked the opposition leader in light of that column. In Parliament, he raised the unnamed Labor frontbencher who told Bramston now that Albanese has the job, he doesn't know what to do with it. 
Bramson reports disillusionment with the leader, especially from elements in the New South Wales right faction who followed their convener, Joel Fitzgibbon, in backing Albanese, who's from the left, after the election. But there, there were some wins for Albanese this week. I mean, at very least, John Setka is no longer a member of the party. This is a, this is a big win for Albanese on several fronts. Uh, his initiative to expel the controversial union boss John Setka from the Labor Party was finally achieved. Setka claimed that he quit rather than fight to stay because, he said, under Albanese, Labor was selling out workers and the values that underpin the party and the union movement. At this stage, uh, you know, I almost feel like walking around off a stepladder. How many times have been asked to step down? Um, but they're not from my union. They're not from my industry. And how much do these concerns matter? I mean, is it all just too early to have any consequences for Albanese's chances as a potential Prime Minister? Yeah, well, it won't. I, I think that's right. But the fact is that such murmurings have emerged just five minutes after the election is an ominous sign for Albanese. For his part, Albanese wants to put the election review and this year behind him and Labor and begin showing the electorate what he has to offer the country in, next year in 2020. And there is a view both in Labor and in, uh, in the government that Morrison may be tempted to go to an election uh, by uh, the end of 2021, not wait till 2022. Paul, thank you for this week and every other week. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Bye. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studiocasts and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. The City of London in Andrew O'Hagan's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Elsewhere in the news, the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security has rejected a government bill that would establish a national facial recognition database. The bill proposed to allow the Department of Home Affairs to create facilities for the sharing of facial images and other information between government agencies and some private entities. The committee has called for the proposed laws to be redrafted with additional safeguards including increased privacy protections. And Darwin residents are highly concerned about their water security as underground aquifers are running critically low. After the driest wet season in decades, the Director for Water Assessment has warned that record low groundwater levels have been reached and then surpassed and that supplies are at risk of drying up completely if bore water users don't cut back. 7am is produced by Emile Klein, Ruby Schwartz, Atticus Basto and Elle Marsh with Michelle Macklem. Eric Jensen is our editor. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you next week. <laughs>